All right. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. We are so happy that we can join this moment together with you as we continue to learn more about the Holy Scriptures. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father in heaven, thank you so much, O oh God, for giving us our life this day. And thank you for the opportunity to study your holy words. Help us, Father, to learn from you that we can be properly guided so we can prepare ourselves fully for the second coming of your beloved Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we need you in our life. We know the scriptures are all about you, how you have been prepared beforehand by our Father as an expression of his love for each one of us. And so we ask you, may we never fail you Help us to know what we must do yes. so that we can be put right before your presence, that you can continue to intercede on our behalf. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You will be with us throughout the study of your holy words. Yes. We ask everything, O oh God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for attending our Bible study for this evening. Tonight, we're going to talk about a wife for Isaac. Do you know who the wife of Isaac was? What was her name? Her name was Rebecca. We're going to look at how their love developed, how Isaac met Rebecca, and what Abraham's servant had to go through to be able to introduce the bride-to-be to Isaac. Now, of course, the reason why we're going to study this is so that we can receive proper guidelines when it comes to choosing the one we're going to marry. We know this is important because choosing the one we're going to marry, that's an important decision in our life, right? And I'm looking at the audience here. I see about eight people who are preparing for marriage. But you are still way too young to begin choosing the one that you're going to marry. Did you get that? You have to wait until you're mature enough. That means age-wise, emotionally, and also your capability to raise a family and so you have to wait until the appropriate age is that okay yeah but it's good for you to kind of know the guidelines when it comes to choosing the one you're going to marry so listen well to the biblical principles that are going to be taught to each one of us first of all I think a good age to begin to look for someone to marry because we mentioned you have to be mature enough you know how old Isaac was when he got married <laughs> Let's read the book of, let's jump to Genesis chapter 25, verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean from Mesopotamia and sister of Laban. How old was Isaac when he got married? He was 40 years old. So we can probably say he was the original 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> Right, And so he got married at the appropriate time. He was mature enough, ready to take on responsibilities when he turned 40 years old. This is why I keep telling my daughter, when you turn 40, you can go ahead and start looking for a date. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to wait till 40. But you get the point, right? You have to be mature enough. Once you are ready to make a decision, you have to make sure you make the right choice. Why? Let's read the next uh, passage, please. According to the American Psychological Association, marriage and divorce are both common experiences in Western cultures. More than 90% of people married to age 50. By age 50, 
healthy marriages are good for couples' mental and physical health. They're also good for children. Growing up in a happy home protects children from mental, physical, educational, and social problems. However, about 40 to 50% of married couples in the United States, and I'm sure this is the case throughout other developing countries, the divorce rate for subsequent marriages is even higher. Why do we need to be wise when it comes to choosing the one we're going to marry? Because if we're not wise when it comes to choosing the one we're going to marry, instead of having a happy family, what we're going to have is a miserable life. We don't want a miserable life. About 50% of marriages end up in divorce, and those who do not go through the divorce process, probably they are enduring a miserable marriage. We don't want that to happen to you. We want you to have a happy married life. And so what do we need to receive? Next slide. Biblical guidelines in choosing the one that we are going to marry. And so let's begin in Genesis 24, 1 to 3. What is one biblical principle? Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in everything he did. He said to his oldest servant, who was in charge of all that he had, place your hand between my thighs and make a vow. That's how they made vows back then. Abraham was serious about this. That's why he told his servant, place your hand between my thighs. It's pretty personal, isn't it? Because this meant a lot to Abraham. I want you to make a vow in the name of the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not choose a wife for my son from the people here in Canaan. And so what is one principle that we need to learn when it comes to choosing the one that we are to marry? Let us make sure we do not choose a Canaanite. What do you mean, do not choose a Canaanite? Why does Abraham want to make sure that his a son will not marry a Canaanite because the Canaanites, they did the things that were not approved by God. And so God does not approve of any union between his people and the Canaanites. During our time, during the Christian era, whom does God forbid that we have union with? Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Stop forming inappropriate relationships with un believers can right and wrong be partners can light have anything in common with darkness so during the christian era what is god's strict prohibition concerning union or marriage the bible says do not have relationships who are with unbelievers in other words if we're going to choose someone to marry listen well let's make sure we choose someone who is truly faithful a faithful follower of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the words of our Almighty God. You know why? Because when it comes to marriage, what does God do between two people? God joins them, right? If their foundations are not together and you try to join two to become one, what will happen to that fellowship? It will come crashing down because religion is a personal thing. And what God wants is for us to get along with the one that we are to marry. Let's make sure when we choose someone to marry, it is someone who is a faithful, a faithful follower of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. So that's principle number one. Choose someone who is a true believer. Why? 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 
do not be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. And so it doesn't matter how faithful you are. If you are in, you can be easily influenced by someone who is close to you. Let us follow then this principle of the Holy Scriptures. What else should we be guided in? Or what also is a principle that we need to follow? Genesis 24 and the verses 4. You must go back to the country where I was born and get a wife for my son, Isaac, from among my relatives. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like, it almost sounds like an arranged marriage, right? Abraham is selecting where the wife should be coming from. Not anywhere in Canaan, but somewhere from where he was born, from among my relatives. You know, if I had it my way, I'd love to choose the spouse for my kids. How about you parents? Do you want to make the choice? Yeah? The kids are like, oh, no. I want to choose my own dad. You know why? It would be a good idea to let parents choose the spouse for their kids. You know why? Because parents, we know what it takes to have a good marriage, right? We can kind of sense and feel what's right and what's wrong. However, God does not require us to select the spouse of our children. However, we do need to approve it. And so, young ones who are here, you need to seek the approval of your parents when it comes to choosing the one that you're going to marry. Incidentally, concerning, um, what do you call that, the arranged marriages, how do you think they end up? How many here know someone who has an arranged marriage? Anyone here know someone who has an arranged marriage? Because there are those who think, you know, people who are in an arranged marriage, like the Patels. Have you seen that movie, The Patels? Because they can only, Patel can only marry a Patel, right? They had a whole movie about that. And so they, there's an arranged marriage that takes place in that culture. And so when it comes to arranged marriages, someone conducted research on that. And this is what they found out. In, two, in a 2012 paper, though in Western contexts, many believe that control and choice must dictate marriage connection as opposed to an arranged marriage and lead to the development of love. Other research has found that love, satisfaction, and commitment in arranged marriages have just as high ratings as those found in love-based marriages. So when it comes to long-term love and happiness, they're about the same. And so when it comes to what God is trying to tell us today, uh, children, young brethren who are here, who are planning to get married, seek the approval of your parents. Next slide. That's principle number two. What else can we learn? Let's go to Genesis 24, 5 down to 9. But the servant asked, what if the young woman will not leave home to come with me to this land? Shall I send your son back to the land you came from? Abraham answered, make sure that you don't send my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, brought me here from the home of my father and from the land of my relatives. And he solemnly promised me that he would give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife there for my son. If the young woman 
is not willing to come with you, you will be free from this promise. But you must not, under any circumstances, take my son back there. So the servant put his hand between the thighs of Abraham, his master, and made a vow to do what Abraham had asked. And so the question the servant was asking Abraham is, what if the young woman that he meets doesn't want to go all the way to Haran or Hebron or Haran to get, mar to get married? What if he doesn't want to travel back with this servant? Abraham says, okay, you are freed then from your vow to me. However, what was the conviction of Abraham? He said, God promised this land to me, and I will have many descendants. So he knows for that promise to be fulfilled, it would have to be through Isaac. Isaac and his descendants. And so he knows God will provide the one that will be appropriate so that the plan and promise of God to Abraham would be fulfilled. Which brings us to another principle. Next slide. What is that? To someone who will help, not hinder. To someone who will help and not be in the way of you fulfilling God's plan for you, especially inside the Church of Christ. And so, what kind of quality does this person possess? Let's read Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so a spouse who will be in support of doing God's will and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to submit to one another. That is one principle we need to apply. What else? Genesis 24, chapter 10, verse 11. The servant who was in charge of Abraham's property took 10 of his master's camels and went to the city where Nahor had lived in northern Mesopotamia. When he arrived, he made the camels kneel down at the well outside the city. It was late afternoon, the time when women came out to get water. So when it was time to look for this person, this woman, to be married to Isaac, what did the servant do? He traveled all the way to northern Mesopotamia. That was a long trip. So he did the work. Where did he go to? He went to the well in the late afternoon. Why? Because he knew that's when the women would appear. In other words, what is the Bible trying to tell us? Next slide. When it comes to looking for the one to marry, we have to do our part, right? We have to do some seeking. We have to do some work. We cannot expect that the people that God wants us to marry will all of a sudden show up in our front doorstep. That's not the way it works. You have to do your part. You have to put in work. However, when it comes to putting in work, what also must we include? Let's read Genesis 24, 12 to 13. He prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and keep your promise to my master. Here I am at the well where the young women of the city will be coming to get water. I will say to one of them, please lower your jar and let me have a drink. If she says drink, and I will also bring water for your camels, may she be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. If this happens, I will know that you have kept your promise to my master. Very interesting, right? What else? 
in addition to doing our part, must we also do to make sure the one that we're going to marry is the one that's from God. Bible says we have to pray. The more specific the prayer, the better, right? How many here pray for their spouse? Raise your hand. Yeah? Did you get, what exa did you get exactly what you want? Yeah? Did you say, thank you, Lord God? Frank is everything I want it to be. Ophelia is everything I want it to be. The Bible says we should pray. Pray to God because when we pray to God, God helps us and guides us in looking for that one. Let's be specific in our prayers. Next slide. That's one of the principles. Why should we rely on God's guidance? Proverbs 19 verse 14. A father can give his sons homes and riches. But only the Lord can give them understanding wives. This also applies to understanding husbands. It goes both ways. You want a husband, a wife that will be compatible for you, an understanding spouse who will be helpful for you. Ask it from our Lord God because the Lord God is the one who can give this to each one of us. What else? is a principle that we can apply when looking for someone to marry. Genesis 24, 15 and 16. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca arrived with a water jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. She was a very beautiful young woman and still a, what does it say? A virgin. She went down to the well, filled her jar, and came back. And so what do you notice about this woman, Rebecca? She had a high moral standard, all right? What's one manifestation of that? She is still what? A virgin. She is still pure. This speaks a lot as far as the quality that we need to look for in the person we're going to marry. This applies not only for the woman, but also for the man. It goes both ways, right? She is still a virgin, which takes us to principle number six, to someone who lives a moral life. Especially, this is especially relevant today because when we go to high school, when we go to college, when we look at our surroundings, when we watch movie and television, when we watch Netflix, we are bombarded with uh, a lot of immorality, right? Adultery is no big deal anymore. A one-night stand is common nowadays. Even fornication. When you don't keep your, your virginity. Nowadays, even among high school students, they engage in sexual activity. They don't care about their virginity. And there are even those who say before we get married, we want to cohabitate first. We want to try it out first. Perhaps you know someone who's doing that, right? Before getting married, let's go ahead and try see if it works. And so there was a study conducted concerning that. Next slide. According to this study conducted in 2004, substantial evidence associates cohabitation with negative. Did you get that? Negative relationship outcomes. Premarital cohabitation is viewed as a risk factor for divorce. Why? 
because it predicts later marital instability, poorer marriage quality, and less relationship satisfaction. So it doesn't work. It's unfortunate so many people are doing exactly this. They want to try it out first. Let's live together first. It doesn't work. What's another, what does the other study conclude? 2009 study compared to married couples. Cohabiting couples argue more, have more trouble resolve, resolving conflicts, and more insecure about their partner's feelings and have more problems related to their future goals. These findings are concerning for couples considering premarital habitation. And so young members of the church who are here, because when it's time for you to get, to get married, you might be tempted with this idea. God says no, because that's immorality. And what will God do with those who are immoral? Let's read uh, the book of Hebrews. Next slide, please. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And so when it comes to all matters of sexual immorality, surely, the Bible says, surely God will judge them. And so let us do our best to keep ourselves pure and raise the standards of our morality in respect for the one that we're going to marry. And if we find an immoral woman, an immoral man, we decide to marry this person. What is the warning of scriptures? Proverbs 5, pay down the 4. For the lips of an immoral woman, her as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. No matter how handsome, no matter how beautiful, if that person is immoral sexually, stay away. Stay away. Because that person will become bitter poison and a double-edged sword. And it's going to ruin your marriage and your relationship also with our almighty God. What also is a principle that we can learn from Genesis 24. 24, 15 to 16. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca arrived with a water jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor, and his wife Milcah. She was a very beautiful young woman and still a virgin. She went to the well, filled her jar, and came back. What do we notice about the beauty of Rebecca? We know physically she's beautiful, but what can we say about her work ethic? She was reliable. She was useful because what did she do for her family? She went to the well to get water. And so she was useful. She was not lazy, which brings us to a very important principle. You're going to look for someone to marry? Make sure, brethren, number seven. I want you to keep this in mind, number seven. Choose someone who is useful and not lazy. Because if you choose someone to marry, someone who's lazy, what's going to happen in your marriage? This is what the Bible says. Proverbs 18, verse 9. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. And so if you marry someone who's lazy, 
eventually the marriage will be destroyed. If you want someone who works hard for a living, works, out, work, works hard around the house, right? You want a hard worker because if you have a lazy person that you're living with, you might get like a nagging wife. How many here know a nagging, have heard about a nagging wife before? You know, sometimes we like to quote scriptures about the nagging wife that goes drip, 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 right? But you know, this is also true. If you have a problem with a nagging wife, this might be true. Next slide, please. The Bible says behind every nagging woman, there's a man not doing what he's supposed to, to do, right? Is that true? You know, if you have a lazy person, there's chaos in the household. And a lot of bickering and arguing, a lot of nagging. And so let's keep away from that. So brothers and sisters, maybe someone who works hard. One who works hard. What else? Genesis 24, 17 to 21. The servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a drink of water from your jar. She said, Drink, sir, and quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and held it while he drank. When he had finished, she said, Look at this. I will also bring water for your camels and let them have all they want. She quickly emptied her jar into the animal's drinking trough and ran to the well to get more water until she had watered all his camels. The man kept watching her in silence to see if the Lord had given him success. You know, camels drink a lot of water, right? I don't know exactly how much water they drink. I'm sure it's in the gallons at one time. How many, ca how many camels did uh, this servant bring with him? Ten. Each of those camels. What did Rebecca offer to do? Rebecca gave all of them water. She had to go back to the well, get water, take it to the camels, one by one, until all the camels were satisfied. That's a lot of work. Probably took the whole day. What does that tell us about Rebecca? <laughs> she was very helpful, right? This is why this brings us to another important quality of a person that you want to marry. You want to marry a person who is helpful. Observe that person. Does this person like to help the homeless? Does this person like to help those who are underprivileged does this person help like a uh, an animal that's like in danger that tells a lot because when you have a helpful nature it's good for your marriage because eventually all of us are going to need help right and when you have a helpful helpful partner what can you accomplish next slide ecclesiastes 4 9 to 10 two can accomplish more than twice as much as one for the results can be much better. If one falls, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he is alone, he's in trouble. We all need help. In fact, when God looked and saw Adam by himself, what did he say? I'm going to create someone like him to help him. And so couples, married couples ought to help each other. Truth is, you can do so much more when you work together. Right? So couples need to have that helpful spirit so that you, we can work together as one. What can you do when you work together as one? Next slide. You can work out together. Right? Is it easier to work out if you have a, a workout partner? 
we can walk together during this when the sun rises when the sun sets you can agree to do a, a same diet together hey let's fast together today let's do keto for this week it's better when you do it together right this is why when you select someone to marry make sure you get someone who's willing to help one whose nature is helpfulness one who's willing to help you especially when you need it what else next slide 20 uh, genesis 24 22 to 25 when she had finished the man took an expensive gold ring and put it in her nose and put two large gold bracelets on her arms wow jewelry right he said please tell me who your father is is there room in his house for my men and me to spend the night my father is Bethuel, son of Nahor, and Milcah, she answered, There is plenty of straw and fodder at our house, and there is a place for you to stay. What do you notice about uh, Rebecca? She's very hospitable, even with strangers. You know, that's a quality I think a, a person should have. Because it leads to a healthier marriage. Next slide. And so choose someone who is hospitable. Because when you have someone who is hospitable, do you know what you will get? <laughs> By the way, do you know what hospitable means? You open your house. Everyone's welcome. You're very friendly and jovial and sociable, right? Is that a good quality to have? How can you tell if someone is hospitable? They have a lot of what? <laughs> hospital. They have a lot of hospitals. No. What do they have? Next slide, please. They have a lot of friends. Their social network of good quality friends is pretty great. Right? Like what we have here. The owner of this house is very what? hospitable this is why the owner of this house they have a lot of good quality friends from all the different states in the united states of america right when you have a growing social network of friends who care about you you know what happens to your marriage and you know what happens to you next slide social networks according to researchers all social networks also produce positive psychological effects to increase your sense of belonging and security and elevate your self-esteem as a result when you have a strong social network you are more likely to be emotionally resilient i mean you can bounce back from negative emotions handle anxiety stress and depression better and experience an overall sense of well-being isn't that nice What's a specific study on this? Next slide. In one study of 1,400 students in Harvard, you all know Harvard, called Very Happy People, results show that there was a 0.7 correlation between social support and happiness, higher than the connection between smoking and cancer. And so if you have strong social supports, you have a 70% chance of being a very, very happy person. It leads to happiness. Is this true? Yeah. 
It's very true. And it also protects you psychologically. How so? Next slide. People with few social ties are two to three times more likely to suffer from major depression than people with strong social bond. The truth of it is, the greater your social connection, the longer your life, and the happier you are. It all begins with hospitality, being hospitable. So when you look for someone to marry, ask them, are you hospitable? <laughs> if, they're not, if they're not hospitable, turn, turn around and look for someone else. Doesn't matter how handsome or beautiful they are. Next slide, Genesis 24, uh, 26 to 27. Then the man knelt down and worshiped the Lord. He said, praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had faithfully kept his promise to my master. The Lord has led me straight to my master's relatives. And so the prayer of the servant of Abraham was answered. What did he do? He praised God and he thanked God in prayer. And so when we are in search of the one, let's continue to pray and be thankful to God for the opportunities that he gives us. And so after Rebecca had this encounter with um, the servant of Abraham, what did she do? Let's read Genesis 24, 28. The young woman ran to her mother's house and told the whole story. What is a nice trait that Rebecca had? She had a good relationship with her parents, an open relationship with her parents. The young people who are here, do you have an open relationship with your parents? When something bad happens at school, do you tell them about that? If you had a bad grade, do you show them your bad grade? <laughs> if you find someone attractive, I think mom, she's kind of cute. Do you mention that? Here's Rebecca. He doesn't hold back. He tells everything to the mother. And so she's very open. She honors her father and mother because that's how you honor your father and mother. You become open uh, to them. You involve them in your life. And so who also, what also can we tell about uh, Rebecca? And what should we also take into consideration? Okay. When you're going to marry someone, what else is important? Let's read Genesis 24, 29, 31. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he ran outside to go to the well where Abraham's servant was. Laban had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard her say what the man had told her. He went to Abraham's servant, who was standing by his camels at the well, and said, Come home with me. You are a man whom the Lord had blessed. Why are you standing out here? I have a room ready for you in my house, and there was a place for your camel. So Laban was pretty supportive of Rebecca, right? He was a God-fearing person because he realized this man is blessed of God and is a God-fearing household. And what does he do? He offers his place to Laban. And so what can we say about Rebecca and her relationship with her family? Next slide. She honors her family and she loves her family, right? She honors her parents and loves her family. We can say, based on the passage, that they were a tight unit. That Rebecca, growing up, 
probably had a good childhood, right? He lived with a good family who feared God. Is that important? Is it important to marry someone who was raised in a good home? I think so. I think that's important to consider. It's not a necessity, but I think it's important to consider. Why? Next slide. Seven, uh, there was a 78-year-long uh, study. That's a long study. <laughs> Seven, a study that took 78 years to complete. It's a study on adult development by someone from Harvard Medical School named Robert Waldinger. The results of his study show that participants who had a nurturing and nurturing family environment in childhood were more likely to have secure relationships later in life, in part because they are more skilled at regulating their emotions in midlife. The study adds to previous research showing that the quality of people's early home environments can have far-reaching effects on well-being, life achievement, and relationship functioning throughout the lifespan. Because usually the person that you're going to marry, the patterns that that person has been introduced to growing up, that's what the person is going to bring in your relationship. This is why consider the family. Are they in good terms with each other? Are they functional and not dysfunctional? Because that also has an impact and will have an impact in your union together as husband and wife. What also is another principle we need to apply? Genesis 24, 32 to 33. So the man went into the house and Laban unloaded the camels and gave them straw and fodder. Then he brought water for Abraham's servant and his men to wash their feet. When food was brought, the man said, I will not eat until I have said that I have, what I have to say. Laban said, go and speak. And so when Laban got into the house, Laban, uh, when uh, I mean, Abraham's servant got into the house, he said, I have to say something. And so Laban says, go ahead and speak. And so what did Abraham's servant say? He told him exactly why he was there. He was going to look for someone to give to Isaac, the son of Abraham, your relatives, and I think I found her. It's Rebecca. Because when I prayed to God, I gave him the signs. It was all fulfilled in Rebecca. And so that's what Laban wanted to say. But Rebecca, but Rebecca, that's what the servant of Abraham wanted to say, that Rebecca is the one that is to be, be given to Isaac. And so what happens after that? Genesis 24, 50 to 53, Laban and Bethuel answered, since this matter comes from the Lord, it is not for us to make a decision. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord himself has said. When the servant of Abraham heard this, he bowed down and worshipped the Lord. Then he brought out clothing and silver and gold jewelry and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive gifts to her brother and to her mother. And so after explaining everything to Laban and to Bethuel, the father of Rebekah, what did they say to uh, the servant? He said, here is Rebekah, take her and go, because we believe this is God's will. They were God-fearing servants. And so they agreed, Rebekah is to be taken to Isaac. However, after they slept at night, the following morning, what happened? Genesis 24, 
54, 55. Then Abraham's servant and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up in the morning, he said, let me go back to my master. But Rebecca's brother and her mother said, let her stay with us a week or 10 days and then she may go. It's understandable. I'm going to miss my daughter, right? I'm going to miss my sister. Let's you know, stay for a while. Just 10 days, maybe a week, but give us, give us some time to get used to the situation. Because after all, they all loved each other. They were a happy family. <laughs> and so what did they decide to do? Genesis 24, 56, 58. But he said, don't make us stay. The Lord has made my journey a success. Let me go back to my master. He wanted to go back already. They answered, let's call her. Let's call Rebecca. And find out what she has to say. So they called Rebecca and asked, do you want to go with this man? What was the answer? Yes. <laughs> she answered. She hasn't even seen him yet. So she's going by faith because uh, Abraham's servant was really building up Isaac all throughout these conversations. Building him up. He's my master. He's a good man. He's all this. <laughs> and Rachel, I mean, uh, Rebecca, you know, Rebecca is a good person, right? And so Rebecca says, yes, I want to go now. I want to go now. What does that tell us? It's another one of the uh, attributes of someone we're going to marry. 11, choose someone who will not hesitate to sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? To leave behind your family, to leave your parents. You know, why is this a, a person be willing to make sacrifices to make the marriage work? Let's read Matthew 19, 5 to 6. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. So let no one split apart what God has joined together. Why is a sacrificial attitude necessary for the marriage to work? Because in marriage, the two has to become one. But you cannot have two becoming one unless one person is willing to sacrifice something about himself or herself, right? This is why a person needs to be willing to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife or husband. The two will become one. You need sacrifice to do that. If one or the other or both do not have that sacrificial spirit, the two cannot be one. It will be two underneath one roof. And that does not bode well for the marriage. What else is a principle that we need to apply? Genesis 24, 59 to 60. So they let Rebecca and her old family servant go with Abraham's servant and his men. And they gave Rebecca their blessing in these words. May you, sister, may you, sister, become the mother of millions. May your descendants conquer the cities of their Enemies. What a nice family, right? They had a, a good parting of ways. That's always nice to have. What else? Next, Genesis 24, verse 1. 
Then Rebecca and her young women got ready and mounted the camels to go with Abraham's servant, and they all started out. So Rebecca, in order for her to go to Isaac, what was the mode of transportation? A camel. How many here have rode a camel before? Next slide. Camel's pretty tall. Look at how high that is. One of the things we're going to experience when we go to Jerusalem is to ride on a camel. Does that look comfortable to you? It may be fun for 30 minutes. But what if I told you we're going to go to SoCal on a camel? <laughs> How would you feel about that? Probably not too fun. Rebecca, for her to be able to go to Isaac, she had to agree to the camels. You know, it's unlike we have today when you go to a long trip. You have air conditioning. You got music. You got Wi-Fi. You got your friends. Here, she's with people she basically doesn't know. <laughs> But she goes anyways, on a camel. Not only does she go on a camel, do you know how long that trip was? <laughs> you know how long? Let's go to the next slide. Because she was somewhere in Hebron, right? Had to go all the way to Haran, which according to this map, is about 500 miles. You know how fast or how, what's the maximum number of miles a camel can walk in a, in a day? It's about 30 miles. And you have to rest. They can go about two, three miles per hour. <laughs> so, wow. That was like a, a month's journey, at least, probably. Right? And so what can we say about Rebecca? Next slide. Number 12. She was, very, she was someone who had endurance. You're going to choose someone to marry? Choose someone who has great endurance. Why should we marry someone who has great endurance? First Peter 4, verse 12, my dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful test you are suffering as though something unusual were happening to you, whether we like it or not. We are going to go through tests. What kind of tests? Painful ones. When we have painful tests, there's stress in the relationship, stress in our life. If one of the couple is, un, is incapable of enduring, it will add to the stress. And instead of the couple making it through, they might end up in divorce. So it's good to have someone built for stress, someone who can endure. Person endures through stress, comes out like gold. We need spouses like that. What else? Genesis 24, 62 to 65, Isaac had come into the wilderness of the well of the living one who sees me and was staying in the southern part of Canaan, he went out in the early evening to take a walk in the fields and saw camels coming. Isaac now, right? When Rebecca ooh, saw Isaac, she got down from her camel. I think she's pretty excited, right? Because she sees a figure from a distance and she, I'm sure she's saying to herself, wow. She looks very handsome. He looks very handsome. I hope he's the one. <laughs> That's why he, comes, he jumps off her camel and asks Abraham's servant, 
who is that man walking toward us in the field? And deep inside, she's probably saying, oh, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. I hope he's the one. He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her scarf and covered her face. What does that show you about her? She was very respectful, submissive, right? Covered her face, got her scarf, covered her face. What happens next? 24, 66, 67, the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent that his mother Sarah had lived in, and she became his wife. Isaac loved Rebekah, and so he was comforted for the loss of his mother. Isn't that nice? When they saw each other, it was love at first sight. They got married. And when we continue to study their life together, they had a good marriage. Right? Happily ever after, although there are bumps along the road, which is normal for us human beings. Nothing can be perfect. Okay? So that shows us our final one, the, the uh, quality or what should we look for in someone we can marry. Number 13, choose someone who is loving and respectful. Why? Ephesians 5.33, it also applies to you. Every husband must love his wife as, as himself, and every wife must respect her husband. Brethren, don't forget, if you're going to look for two qualities in the one you marry, it should be someone who's loving and someone who's respectful. You know how important love and respect is? Next slide, 1 Peter 3, 6-7. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. That's respect. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So there's mutual love, mutual respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, when you have love and respect in the relationship, God is with you. And it doesn't matter what you face in the relationship, God will help you through it. But you need to have both. You need to have love for each other and respect for one another. Sometimes they have love for each other, but the problem is they don't have respect for each other. And so when you don't have respect for one another, what often happens? Next slide. You get a, into a hostile argument right you call each other names you criticize there's contempt now you're lazy you're good for nothing you only make this much money <laughs> a lack of respect but if you have love and respect what can we expect from that marriage next slide like that one right like the marriage brother frank and sister Ophel have even though they're in their 70s or 60s or 80s or 90s, they still are madly in love with each other. Don't you want that? We want that too. But you know what? We have to do our part. God has given us the guidelines. Let's put that into practice. So surely Genesis 24 gives us a blueprint, a guideline, so that we can look for the one that we're going to marry. However, Genesis 24 does not only give us guidelines on how to look for the person we are to marry at a deeper level you know when it comes to genesis we have to look for deeper meanings right at a deeper level 
what can we say? Next slide, please. Genesis 24 also gives us guidelines as to how we must prepare for the second coming of Christ. Did you know Genesis 24 is also telling us of what we need to do so that we will be saved when Christ comes? Did you know that? I want you to consider this. Let's go briefly, okay? I want you to use your minds. Let's go briefly to those guidelines again. I want to show something to you. Next slide, please. Guideline number one, choose someone who is a true believer. How does that apply to us in preparation for the second advent of Christ? Next slide, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. A true believer is someone who does the will of the Father. And so what God wants us to do, don't just profess Christianity. Actually do the will of the Father. Because they're the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Next slide, please. Number two, choose someone approved by your parents. Honor your father and mother. Next slide, Matthew 15, 4. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. What if you don't reconcile with your father or mother, and then Christ comes? Do you think you'll be saved? I don't know. Christ says, anyone who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. How can he be saved? Right? Number three, choose someone who will help you fulfill God's will. Do you know what God wants us to do when the end is near? Gen uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so before Christ comes, what does God want us to do? We have to be instruments to encourage and to help each other prepare for that great day by motivating them to do love and good works, to do the will of God. Do you see how what we ought to look for in the person that we're going to marry, in a way we have to apply that in our life to prepare for the second advent of Christ? Do you see that? Right? Let's keep looking. Number four, do your part in seeking the one. In other words, you have to do your work. God has his part. We have our part. We pray to God for God to do his, but we need to do our part. What is that? Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so if we want to be saved, we have to do our part. Work out, work our own salvation with fear and trembling. Number five, pray to God for guidance. Do we need to also pray for our salvation? Let's read. Luke 21, 36. Be on watch and pray always that you will have the strength to go safely through all those things that will happen and to stand before the Son of Man. What's number six? Choose someone who lives a moral life. Why is that significant when it comes to the preparation we need to make before the second advent of Christ? Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Surely you know. That the wicked will not possess God's kingdom. Do not fool yourselves. People who are immoral, people who are immoral or who worship idols or are adulterers or homosexual perverts or who steal or are greedy or are drunkards or who slander others or are thieves, none of these will possess God's 
kingdom. What else? Number seven, choose someone who is useful and not lazy. Is that also in relation to our salvation? Yeah. Matthew 25, 26, 30. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant, gathered crops, I didn't cultivate. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that tell us about God's expectation? God doesn't want us to be lazy. What we read to you there is a parable about the talents. What is the equivalent of the talent? The gifts. All of us have gifts from God. Especially during our time when we are preparing for salvation. We are part of the very small remnant. We are doing the work of rebuilding the temple of God, the people of God. And so God has given us talents. The question is, are we being useful? Are we using our gifts? Because the day will come when Christ will come back. And you will ask us, did you use your gifts? Were you useful? Because if we are useless and we did not use our gifts, the Bible says Christ will say, you lazy and wicked servant. Cast that useless servant where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Number eight, choose someone who is helpful. What is the role of helpfulness when it comes to the attainment of our salvation? Is that also applicable? Yeah, look, Hebrews 6, 10 to 11 God is not unfair. He will not forget the work you did or the love you showed for him. In the help, the help you gave and are still giving to other Christians. Our great desire is that each of you keep up your eagerness to the end so that the things you hope for will come true. What are we hoping for? Salvation. When Christ will come. So that what we are hoping for, the salvation we are hoping for will come true. What do we need to do? Keep our helpfulness until the very end. Okay? Number nine, choose someone who is hospitable. Being hospitable, offering hospitality. Is that relevant when it comes to the attainment of salvation? What do you think? Yes. Next slide. First Peter 4, 7 to 9. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so before the, the, the day of the end comes, when Christ will come back, what God wants us to do is to offer hospitality. Number 10, choose one who honors parents and loves family. Does God expect us to take care of our relatives? Does that have any bearing when it comes to the attainment of salvation? When Christ returns? Absolutely. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any do not take care of their relatives, they shoo them away. Especially the members of their own family. They have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. If you are worse than an unbeliever, Christ comes. Can we be saved? It's going to be hard. <laughs> right? What else? 11, choose someone who will not hesitate to make sacrifices. Should we also do that? Is that needed? Let's read. 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, my life is coming to an end. And it is now time for me to be poured out as a sacrifice to God. You see, Apostle Paul's life, he was like a drink offering being poured out slowly. Every single day, every moment of his life, he sacrificed a part of himself until completely it was poured out. 
His life was a sacrifice to our Almighty God. I have fought the good fight. I have completed the race. I have kept the faith. The prize that shows I have God's approval is now waiting for me. The Lord, who is a fair judge, will give me that prize on that day. He will give it not only to me, but also to everyone who is eagerly waiting for him to come again. So it's very relevant. Sacrifices are needed if we want to attain the life, the crown of life or life everlasting. Number 12, choose someone who's willing to endure. Do we need endurance? Yeah, Matthew 24, 13, we know this. But the person who endures to the end will be saved. And lastly, number 13, choose someone who is loving and respectful. Key word there, respectful. Do we need to apply that also to ourselves in preparation for the second day, second advent of Christ? Yeah. Hebrews 12, 26 to 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You want to be saved? We need to show proper respect to God. How? By worshiping Him in a way acceptable to Him with reverence and awe. Respect God. Have reverence for Him because God is a consuming fire. And so when we look at the 13 guidelines, 13 characteristics that we need to look for for someone that we want to marry, we need to apply that in our life because it also is what God wants us to do to prepare for the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why there's that connection between the characteristics of uh, Rebecca and the characteristics of what we need to do to be saved? Do you know why there's that connection? I'm going to show you something. It's in Genesis. We studied this before. But you probably did not get it yet. But we're going to show it to you now. Genesis 22. Remember Genesis 22? Early the next morning, Abraham cut some wood for the sacrifice, loaded his donkey, and took Isaac and two servants with him. They started out for the place that God had told him about. What was God's instruction to Abraham again? I want you to offer your son Isaac as a burnt offering to me. Right? What did Abraham say? Amen. And so what did he do? He took, what did he take? Isaac and his two servants to go where? The place that God has told him about. Where is that place? Mount Moriah. Remember that place? They go to Mount Moriah. And in Mount Moriah, as he was about to offer Isaac, what does God say? He said, I'm going to give you a replacement because I will be the one to complete that sacrifice in the future, right? And so they come back. The ram was sacrificed instead because God is showing Abraham what he plans to do. Who is, who is he going to sacrifice? God, Jesus. So in that mountain, something's going to happen. Christ will be offered. And Abraham was playing out the part of God when he bound his son Isaac and took him there to Mount Moriah. Okay? So when 
Isaac and Abraham were there at Mount Moriah, and the whole scenario takes place and it's finished. They come back, right? I want you to notice this. 22 verse 19. Abraham went back to his servants, and they went together to Beersheba where Abraham settled. What's missing there? You notice anything missing? In 22. When they go to the place, who was there? Isaac. When they come back, who's missing? Isaac. In actuality, Isaac's with them, but it's not mentioned in 19. Do you know when Isaac is mentioned again? Not in 23. Isaac is mentioned again when? 24, 66 to 7. The servant told Isaac everything he had done. Then Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent that his mother Sarah had lived in, and she became his wife. And so Isaac is introduced again when he is to get married to who? Rebekah. I don't know about you, but do you see a type there? Remember, next slide, Isaac is a type of Rebecca is a type of the church. This is why the Bible is trying to tell us. Next slide. The Genesis 24 also gives us guidelines as to how we must prepare for the wedding feast of the Lamb. We have to prepare for that. What is that wedding feast of the Lamb? Let's read the final passage of our studies. Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us praise His greatness. For the time has come for the wedding of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Christ. And His bride has prepared herself for it. What's the bride? The church. She has been given clean shining linen to wear. The linen is the good deeds of God's people. So we, the church, what does God expect from us? That we will do the good deeds. This is why the, the 13 guidelines mentioned, we need to apply that for ourselves because that is how we put on linen. Those are the good deeds. Then the angel said to me, write this, happy are those who have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the angel added, these are the true words of God. And so, brethren, let us prepare for that great wedding feast of the Lamb because it's fast approaching. And because it's fast approaching, let us focus on those 13 things that God has mentioned to us because that is the key for us to attain salvation. We'll give you a PDF summary of the 13. Is that okay? That way you can have you can have that to look at. These are guidelines. Genesis 24 are guidelines not only for how to choose a spouse, but also how to be prepared for the second advent so that we can be invited, we can be present in the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride, the church, us. So that we can all receive the promised salvation. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, we are truly thankful for your blessings, for giving us insight and for giving us direction. For surely you want each one of us to be fully prepared for the second advent of your beloved Son. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, we represent your body yes. and also your future bride, the church. Help us to wear good linen by means of our good works. Help us to do your will and the will of our God. Yes. When you will finally come back, we will be confident. We will be together with you on that day of celebration in the kingdom prepared by our Father. Amen. Oh God, please continue to guide your people. Yes. Give us courage and boldness to declare faith to you and to your Son. Yes. Help us to overcome fear, O oh God. Yes. Fear of men and fear of institutions. Yes. Fear of the registry that we can focus solely on you. Place our, our eyes affixed on you. Yes. But Father, we can gain boldness to fulfill your holy will. Amen. Please comfort your people. Yes. Keep us safe at all times. And strengthen always our hearts and our faith. We ask and beg everything, O Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.